Hello, and welcome to Season 1, Episode 28 of the We Are Speaking podcast. During each weekly 30-minute episode, we address some of our favorite topics, including American history and culture, government, education, and politics from a Black perspective. We are very glad you're joining us today. The podcast is brought to you by our company, the Team Owens 313 Global Creative Community. We offer branding and marketing services, including online training and one-on-one coaching to independent writers, creative and solo professionals, and very small business owners. You can find out more at our website, teamowens313gcc.com. As a free or paid subscriber to the We Are Speaking publication, you can access the podcast episodes through the website or on your favorite podcast player. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. My name is Pamela Hilliard-Owens, and I am one of the co-hosts of We Are Speaking in partnership with my husband and business partner, Keith Owens, who also wrote and performed the intro and outro music for the podcast. And speaking of Keith, here he is. Hi, Keith. Hey, good to be here again. Okay, the name of this episode is The Midterm Election and the Media Mess. And most of the podcast today is going to be with Keith because he is the award-winning journalist in the family. And as we have seen, well, first of all, today is Saturday, November 12th which is about four days after the polls closed on Tuesday, November 8th, and the elections in many areas are still not complete. While the uh, Republicans are crying fraud, everyone else who who is sane realizes that the numbers will take a while and the tallies will take a while, in some cases almost a week, to be completed. Why is this? Mainly because of the mail-in and absentee ballots. In some states, uh, including Michigan, they can't even begin to process and count the ballots until Election Day or after. So that means after the polls close at 8 p.m., then they can start processing and um, counting the mail-in and absentee ballots. And most of those laws are about waiting until after the uh, elections are closed. Most of those laws were put into place by Republicans who were fine with mail-in voting until a lot of Democrats started using mail-in. So in uh, states like Arizona, Nevada, and a few other states, it will take... Oh, the other thing is, is that with the mail-in ballots, and again, this is the Republicans crying fraud, but they're the ones who put the the laws in place. If your mail-in ballot was not arriving time or you forgot to put the date on the front of the ballot, there's a a process called curing. And in Nevada, this is very important. You are given a chance to go back. You have to go back uh, personally and cure your ballot. That means if it didn't have a signature or a date, you can do that, and then the ballot would be counted. And so that, in addition, is very time-consuming. In Georgia, of course, I think it was about 1,000 ballots were not ma- absentee ballots were not mailed as they should, as they were requested. People didn't find out about that until Friday or Saturday before the election. So they had to scramble and go uh, vote in, in person when they had planned on doing it absentee. So there's a lot of things going on, but that does not mean there's fraud. But on the other hand, on the other hand, Unlike the 2020 election, this election has had very little of the violence, of the violence and messiness 
of the elections two years ago. Most of the elections have gone very, very smoothly, although I just read this morning in Ohio, a man posted that his father was shot to death by his neighbor who thought the father was a Democrat. So the violence is still out there, but election-wise, we haven't had the problems that we had two years ago. So now that it is four days after the election, Keith, talk about how the media before the election, before the election, went with this narrative that there was going to be a red wave, which really turned into a red trickle. (laughs) Well, yeah, at, at first there was the narrative, as you said, that everybody was pretty much expecting and anticipating that the Republicans were going to wipe us out. That that they, they were us going, meaning the Democrats. the Democrats, right? They were going to take the House. They were going to take the Senate, and there really wasn't much. Really wasn't much to contradict that. Nobody was really opposing that. We pretty much assumed that right. back several months ago. All the polls were showing that everything you could look at was essentially saying this is what was going to happen. Then the Supreme Court overturn Roe v. Wade. Right. And so when over when that happened, then the media jumped up and down and of course women and men not men came very upset because that this shook a lot of people up. People shot for sure this would not happen. So although it had been telegraphed from a long time ago, but when it actually did happen, many women, a lot of people registered. Because right. registered and they just they didn't just march, they registered and, and vo- voiced their t- intention to change things. Right. And so this the, was the first time in American history that a right had been taken away. Away, right. away. There are plenty of times where rights were not granted, right. but this was the first time that a right and for, that had been in place for 49 years was actually taken, taken away. away from people, right. And so, so that rallied a lot of people. And the media jumped on that and said, okay, this could change things. Mm-hmm. And this could mean that because now more women are going to go to vote, go vote. And women tend to vote heavier than men anyway. And so right. Wednesday and Wednesday, and even the Republicans were getting nervous because they, you know, this could really change things. They didn't even want to bring that up in their race. That right. Happened. And they, then it switched around again because then the, the economy supposedly, that was really a false flag. But the economy supposedly was looking bad. And the Democrat and Republicans started saying, well, look, the gas prices are going back up. And the, and particularly prices at the store, because right. food is starting to cost more. And so this is really going to change things. So mm-hmm. essentially what the media was saying was that they're, they're, they're looking at it as the story of the week, right. as opposed to what was really happening. Right. They, they said, okay, now this is taking the headlines. So since they, uh, this now narrative is now taking the headlines, therefore, because we've said it, People must also not be paying attention. Essentially, what they're saying, we heard Michael Moore say from some from Flint say that before, which is in a very humorous way. Michael Moore, Moore explain who he is. Right, an activist from Flint who wrote the Flint, book, Michigan. Became Flint, Michigan, who got, became famous from the movie uh, Roger and Me about what had happened to Flint, his hometown of Flint, right, and become a big time Republican, um, Democratic. Left wing activists and, and and bowling for Columbine, right, right, bowling for Columbine and was number move. And so, but what what he was saying is that that what the narrative was getting wrong was the narrative was essentially saying that that women could not women who may have been upset about abortion a week ago. But now so suddenly it's just calmed down. They just don't care about it anymore because price of gas went up. And what and it was humorous. But what he was saying and what I think was very accurate was that. And and this has been a criticism, really, of, of political journalism for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I think it needs to be addressed. 
is the horse race aspect. Right. Because it, it because horse race journalism gets gets clicks. Right. And gets attention. Right, right. So when you have a close horse race and you have this secretariat's ahead right now, no wait a minute, running blues ahead. No wait mm-hmm. so and so's ahead. Okay, he's pulling away. No, he's not quite pulling away because then somebody who we didn't think about is coming up on the left. Anybody who watch a horse race, you know how that goes. Well that's exactly how a political race are called. So it doesn't get so and everybody's looking at the polls. Right. And not to say the polls are irrelevant, but you cannot just look at Number one, because of how polls are conducted, President mm-hmm. Biden said in terms of the number of the people they actually are able to reach, they're not able to reach so many voters. So it's not even accurately reflecting the electorate, but also the questions that are asked and the way when you start reporting it in terms of what's the latest hot thing. Right. That doesn't reflect what's really going on on the ground. And when you talk to uh, politi- politicians, Nancy Pelosi, who talked to people on the ground and people, she is, she is a very good, like people always say Nancy can count. Right. And when... She was getting on the ground and what she was saying before the election was what she was hearing back is what turned out to be true. The people on the ground. Right. That, that abortion as an issue and, and also democracy. Right. And the people are afraid for what's going to, happen, going to happen to their democracy. That remained a big issue. Right. I mean, the, the newspapers may have been saying now it's gas. Now it's this. Now it's that. Now this. But the people on the ground were mobilized. They didn't, they, they, they assumed they're assuming that people have the same short attention span that they do. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> because in, in, in news, and as a former news person, as a news person I know, most stories can't hold for too long. Right. It's the same right. story. You have to change the narrative. You have, if it's going to stay on the front page, something has to be new. And not just new, it has to be juicy. If it's going to be a good story. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so the hardest thing, you look at Watergate. Watergate was a hard, that story didn't even catch for right. a long time. Right. Because right. something had to catch the attention where people said, okay, why do we want to run this? Why do we want to even pay attention? So the, what that forces journalists to do is say, what can we get in there that will make people, my friends, there's a, and I think, I believe it, the Washington Post used to call it that, mm-hmm. which, was, which was holy shit journalism. Right. Which is you look at the headline in the morning and your response is, holy shit. Well, that's what they want, right? And right. so, but you but to maintain that is not it's hard enough to get that on the front page one day, right? To maintain right, that right, right. is something else. And if, and as we know in this country, which is insane, political races go on for two years, right? So how do you sustain that narrative for two years to keep people interested in this same thing for two years? Well, eventually, there's there's so many there's so much competition among so many outlets. They're all trying to find that new angle. That right. new way competing for attention. Apparently, you and I were growing up, there were only a few stations. Right. TV. That was three. Like, three, right. You know, <laughs> you know, you had Huntley Brinkley report, you had Walter Cronkite, and you had a few, and um, that's about it. The, the big news program was 60 Minutes, which came, the daily newspaper came, and so we had an afternoon newspaper. Mm-hmm. There was no, there, there was no online. You waited for the paper to come. Right. So that was the competition. The competition now is you can't even count. Right. Competition. So everybody's trying to get an they're they're trying to gain an edge for your attention. What will make you not what read the Washington Post and read us? What will make you say, no, we I need to follow this? What will make you follow MSNBC and not just what will make you watch Rachel as opposed to somebody else? Everybody's trying to get that angle to make to, to listen to me, listen to me, listen mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. And on one hand, yeah, I understand it. But right. but, but it harms it can it can harm the the viewers who want to really understand the truth when you really want to understand what's really happening. Right. And you really have to resist the temptation 
to follow every single thing, every single minute. I mean, I joke with some of my friends later when they were asking what I did on election day, or are you following this? Do you see what's happening? And I said, I'm standing floors. Right. <laughs> on the day of the election, I didn't I didn't listen to anything, didn't watch anything, didn't because whatever it happened, happened. But the point is, now turn over to you. The point is, is that I really wanted to resist that temptation is even going now. I'm not watching much news now because across, we watch MSNBC a lot, but across the bottom, it's still the horse race. It's right. who's up on what, every single show has that same graph. The banner across the, the bottom. The banner across the, the bottom showing who's gaining what points. And I'm like, I don't want to see that. Right. I, whatever's happening, tell me the news, but I'm just to follow this. And I think that we all need to kind of resist and not get so sucked in. By that horse race, right. by by the minute by minute, because you're you're it's exciting. It makes your heart race, but it doesn't tell you what's really going on. Right. And that's what's un- that's the same thing that's caused damage with people who are unfairly saying that B- Biden's not doing anything. Biden's done so much you can't even count it, but he's not exciting. Right. He doesn't right. make the clicks. He doesn't make the he does. He's not a great orator. Journalists had a love-hate relationship with Trump. They Most of them couldn't stand who he was as a person, but he was great for news. Right. And Trump knew that because he was always doing something that would put him on the front page, always doing something insane, saying something sick, twisted, perverted. Right. That made news. Biden is basically, you know, you know, good, good, good evening. I've just saved the economy. Good night. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and people, and news wants more than that. Right. So that's why I think it's kind of led to where the, the prediction of the red wave what was did not hold up to the reality, which, like you said, was the, ended up being the red trickle. Exactly. Because, because that, what what they were predicting was not based on what was really happening. Exactly. And from here on out, well, first of all, I want to go back to um, Biden for just a minute because in July and August, his um, popularity ratings were in the 30s. Okay. And people were saying, well, was Biden being so underwater in his ratings? How are the Democrats going to turn that into wins for them? But several things happened again in August, September, October, Mm -hmm. because going back to young people, because I'm going to talk about the young people a lot, going back to young people, they wanted three things. They wanted the student loan, they wanted climate change, and they wanted uh, work done on the the abortion. Okay, Mm -hmm. those were three of the things that they really wanted. And the Democrats delivered on all of those. Climate change early, starting last year, but they continually and continually work on that. And then, um, of course, then they wanted the student loan relief, and that was delivered, although it is now on hold because two people who didn't qualify for the student loan debt relief, although one of them got a huge uh, PPP debt relief, sued, and a federal judge in Texas, a Trump-appointed judge, put a hold on the whole student loan thing. Right. So because two people were mad... Millions of people are on hold to get their student loan debt relief. Now, of course, the Department of Justice is going to appeal that, and they'll probably win on appeal. But, but that should never have that should, should never have happened. But that was another thing that the, that the, that the, that the young people wanted, and of course, the young people came out like crazy about abortion, uh, women and men, mm-hmm. uh, because it affects them most directly. It, it was it was almost funny. I was telling somebody because Marjorie Taylor Greene, oh God, from Georgia, actually confronted some a woman about my age, saying that uh, you don't you shouldn't care about abortion because you're too old and barren to have children. 
Now, see, if she had said that to me, after I gave her the, the snap to keep my, to yeah. keep myself from, from smacking her upside the head, I would have given her a couple of finger snaps. But I would have told her the difference between the Democrats and Republicans, we vote for things that are good for people, whether we directly whether we directly benefit them from them or not. It's the same with the student loan. Okay, many people my age, if they had student loans, when student loans, when, when I got a student loan, by graduate school, as I remember, the payment was not painful, number one. Number two, because I was a teacher, my whole debt, all I had to do was teach for five years, which I was planning to do anyway, and, and the rest of my loan was forgiven. But after 1980, when the federal government stopped subsidizing higher education because Reagan came in and the Republicans came in, and then so students had to go to predatory private loans, that's when the, the, the interest rate and trying to pay back the loans went up so high, it was, it was stifling. There are people still paying on, their, on, on, on the interest of their loans 20 years later. And so for, because, of, because of that, the student loan debt, debt, the student debt loan relief plan, number one, was meant for people who make $125,000 or less. Okay, and what happened was is that most of the loans go, go, went to people who are making seventy five thousand dollars or less. And in today's economy, seventy five thousand dollars is it? I mean, it's a nice, nice income, but it is not a lot when you have to pay for everything else. And so the Republicans are screaming, "Oh, it's going to benefit rich white people." I mean, rich, rich, rich people who are just lazy and all that kind of. Thing. First of all, Harvard or Yale. No, rich people who are lazy. No, rich people or people who are late. First of all, $125,000 is not rich. It's well off, but it's not rich, okay? And if, the, if there's a Harvard-educated doctor or, or Yale doctor or lawyer who is not making $125,000 a year, there's a problem, okay? Those people make way more than... And when you're that rich, you don't need to get a loan in the first place. So they aren't even affected by that. The people who are affected by this are people who took trade, who went to trade school, who got, who, who, who went to a school for a two year college. And it only wipes out up to $20,000. For most people, it's only $10,000. And if you have $50,000, $60,000 in debt, $10,000 only puts a dent in it. But the other thing that it does is that it stops the, the interest. Okay, it stops the interest, and that was what was piling up. Just like everybody, you know, your credit card interest, your mortgage interest, that's where the money comes from. And so, even though I am not affected by it, because I paid off my loans years, decades ago, and most people who are in their 50s, 60s, and 70s, they either didn't have loans or they paid them off years ago. So does that mean, okay, I paid my loans off, so that means I'm not going to let anybody else get any help. No, that's not the way we are supposed to think. We are supposed to help other people, even if it does not directly affect us. So when the, when the young people came out, and they're called Gen Z, age 18 through 29, they turned this election around. In here in, in Michigan, in Ann Arbor, the line, and, and at Michigan, at, you know, University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, and Michigan State in Lansing and other colleges, they, the, the young people were in line for hours, hours in Ann Arbor. The last young person counted, I think it was, I can't remember whether it was a man or a woman, well, uh, cast their vote at 2.30 a.m. Wednesday morning. They were in line for hours. It was cold outside. They had blankets and all that, but they were not moving. They were going to, to win. And while I'm at it, let me let me give a shout out to Michigan. Uh, and then I'm going to give it back to Keith on the media. I have to give a shout out to Michigan because in Michigan, even though we had election deniers on the ballot for all three of the top um, state offices, 
We reelected our Democratic governor, Gretchen Whitmer. We reelected our Democratic Secretary of State, Jocelyn Benson. And we reelected our Attorney General, Dana Nessel. But not only that, we turned we, we turned the Michigan legislature, which had been Republican-led, back to Democratic hands for the first time in 40 years. I think it was since 1984 or something like that. So the uh, and, and the Supreme Court, even though they are technically uh, non-partisan, it is also now with mostly in Democratic hands. And we turned we 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 converted the the Republican seat up in Grand Rapids that had been held by Peter Meyer, who lost his primary because he voted to impeach the president. But before that, it was held by President, you know, former President Gerald Ford. It had been in his seat for decades. And so that had been a Republican seat for who knows how long. We turned that, we we switched that and turned that into a Democratic seat here in Michigan. So and the way it was done is is through get out the votes. Not, they didn't start in August. They started mo- months and years ago. So I want to give a shout out to Michigan. And if you all want to learn how to uh, uh, do an election the right way with all the way down the ballot, come and come to Michigan. And, and no, that's true. Michigan mm-hmm. really turned. And again, the media is paying attention to it now. But I think that they didn't see what nobody mm-hmm. saw what was coming. And that's the thing also is that. Again, because of the horse race aspect of journalism and because of people trying, everybody trying to one up the other. Right. As people began to make predictions and prognostications based on some information they didn't really have. Right. They didn't know. Because the truth is, the most honest journalists were saying, the truth is, nobody knows. Right. Because, and not just because what we mentioned before, where they, they the polls don't even have access to nearly enough voters. Right. But also because this territory was to, uh, it's unprecedented. Right. We had never come over this ground before. So you talk about just the pressures involved in the situation, but also the sheer numbers of people. Right. It was almost two or three, in Georgia, almost two or three times, I think it was twice in absentee. Turned right. out this time it was last time. And last time was a record. Right. It was another record. Yeah, because it was during COVID, number one. Right, during COVID. And and it still broke a record during COVID. So right. So the number of people, so that when you have that many people showing up with the polls and voting and all the things happening on the ground, there, there's no way you you can you can measure. Right. Because basically they're still trying to measure based on on out what quickly become out things are changing so fast it's outdated methods right so they're trying to look look at it through the regular polls stuff like that you can't judge judge what's happening based on the way you used to do it right so nobody really knew the other thing is is that what we really need to keep in mind is that the the, the despite the fact that we all feel uh, democrats that, that we can we can breathe again mm-hmm. that, we, that you know, democracy held and and Things are looking much better than we ever would have thought based right. on what the predictions were. But we need to keep in mind, th- this thing is hardly over. They right. have not, they have, they, they have not stopped. They will not stop. I think that they are exhausted. Right. I do think the Republicans are exhausted because even though you do hear them, as Pam says, still talking about fraud, it's, and the, what they've been saying for the longest, but nowhere near the same ferocity as they were when Trump lost. Right. When Trump lost, I mean, they, obviously it was January 6th. They, was, they really went crazy. Right. This time, I'm not saying nothing else would happen, but the, the elections are going unbelievably smoothly. And this is in after every, every, how much they have poisoned the well. Right. After all the right. ger- gerrymandering, after everything they have done, after all the threats, everything they've tried to do to change everything, the vote, they are still 
right. were able to pull this off. Right. And so I think that they, for they, it almost feels stupid when if they will come out again and say, oh, it was rigged again because they keep losing. Right. And what the media is not reporting as much is that this is the first time since, well, 40 years, I guess, first time in many, many midterm cycles that the party in power has right. not, has, has, has not, not lost, not, not lost seats. We, at this point. When the president was in. The Democratic president. Right? Well, no, 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 no. Because even when the Republicans were in, they lost seats also, except for 2002, right after the, right after 2001. Right. Okay. So whenever the president, basically, if the pre, you got a Democratic president, he doesn't carry, or same thing with Republican no, no, president. No, 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 right. The party who, who's in power, who's right. in power whether loses. Democrat or Republican, usually loses right, in the midterms. Okay. Right. And for uh, Clinton and for Obama, they got crushed right. in the midterms. And the Republicans got crushed in the midterms a, couple, a few cycles ago. Also, the only time that didn't happen was, was was for George Bush's midterm elections because he was still riding high because of after 9-11. Otherwise, the party in power, whether it was a Democrat or Republican, lost seats. So not only did we not lose seats, or maybe we might lose one or two, not 50 and 60 like we had before, but we didn't lose a single state legislature that was Democratic. We held on to that. Wow. And so and that is historic. Dork. That was the other reason people, you know, Republicans and, and media were saying that the Democrats are going to get crushed. Because historically, that's usually that what happens. happens. I'm not necessarily getting crushed, but they lose a lot of seats mm-hmm. because it's a referendum on the president who's right. in power at the time. What this turned out to be, because if Trump can't keep his mouth shut, this was a this was a referendum on Trump. And that's why the Republicans did so, so mm-hmm. poorly. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say one more thing, and I'll turn it back over to Keith, because we want to talk about solutions before we get to the end. Talking about the media... All of a sudden, they have decided that Ron DeSantis is now the Republican king. And number one, they forget that the way that DeSantis won in Florida was through intimidation, through gerrymandering, through after Hurricane Ian in September, he, DeSantis said, these, the, there, there are several counties who were so negatively impacted by Ian, we're going to give them some extra time and some extra help for the voting season. He did that only for Republican counties. He didn't do that for the Democratic counties. And of course, then the intimidation with his election police. Uh, so he intimidated people, especially minority people who might think, I, got, I had three parking tickets. They're going to arrest me if I go vote. Things like that. Th- that that's not going to play nationally. Right. He's anti-woke and anti-gay and anti-everything except himself. He even said God sent him. Well, we every time a Republican says God sent them, going back to right. Michelle Bachman, they lose. So what he did in Georgia is not going to play nationwide, number one. Number two, the media is already looking at his wife. You know, articles about, what about the husband of Gretchen Whitmer, Dr. Mark Mallory? What about the wife of Wes Moore, the new uh, governor, the black governor of um, Maryland? Maryland, yeah. What if they aren't? They aren't putting them up. They're putting up DeSantis, right. you know. And again, trying to, you know, this, this is clickbait. And what are yeah. some solutions, Keith? Well, I mean, the solutions that we get before we close it out. The solutions are, are, are basic. I think my, what I had said before in terms, in terms of voters, which is basically to pay closer attention, not to follow, not follow the horse races. Right. Far, that's the because solution is with the. Is with the voters, is with right. the people. You know, I think in terms of when they Biden's approach as well as Obama's approach, when what what what, what President Obama said a long time ago, we are the change we've been waiting for. Mm-hmm. And I think that that really it holds the seeds of the solution right there. In other words, you don't keep looking at the president and say, "What are you going to do?" 
What are you going to do? Look at your congressman. It's what are you going to do on the ground? Right, right. And I think that we have a do in an era in an era where we're living where there's so much information out there. It's almost no information. You have a duty to, to really. Everybody has busy schedules, mm-hmm. etc. But I mean, you, you cannot afford to be uninformed. And it, and so I think that's what the real solution right. about that is just that. And, and what has happened this is what happened this time. Mm-hmm. I mean, people people could see through the smoke. Right. They knew what was going on, and they, they were being told a bunch of BS, and they didn't buy it. Mm-hmm. And so that, and that's what prevailed at the end of the day. We probably need to get ready to wrap it up this time, right, but, right. I, but but those are the last solutions. Okay, and, and and my solution besides the media, because we have to realize that people like us, Keith and I, and a lot of people, we're glued to this kind of stuff. Keith is a journalist, and I'm a historian. Well, not a historian; I'm a history teacher. There's a difference. We've been glued to this kind of stuff forever. We watch this stuff year round. Most people don't even start paying attention until after Labor Day. So it is up to the get out the vote people. It's up to the organizers to get out there and organize, not starting in August, not start, not even starting in the same year, but starting now, right. start organizing for 2024. And for Democrats, because the Republicans are not going to change. The Repu- one of the Republican people said, well, we need to look at young people. No, no, young people are not going to vote for what you're trying to put out yeah. there. So let's let's look at the organizers and, and see what happens with them. That would be my solution. And before we lock, I want to remind you that this podcast is brought to you by the Team Owens 313 Global Creative Community. Check it out. We've got some great things. If you are an independent writer or a creative professional, check out. Team Owens 313GCC.com. And we'll talk to you next week. Yep, talk to you next week.